is your family too busy and stressed to enjoy each other? Haley Stewart and her family were sick of the rat race, so they sold their house and signed on for a year-long internship on a sustainable farm. Stay tuned to find out how the simplicity of their new life set this family free to live the gospel and rediscover joy. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Maladnik, and our topic today is the grace of enough, and we're talking with Haley Stewart. Haley is an author, podcaster, speaker, freelance writer, and the voice behind the popular blog, Carrots for Michaelmas. She co-hosts the Fountains of Carrots podcast with Chrissy Isinger, and her first book to be published with Ave Maria Press, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture, was released in 2018. Haley and her husband, Daniel, homeschool their four children and live in Waco, Texas. Welcome, Haley. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Oh, gosh. It's, it's such a really interesting topic because of the Holy Father's comments about our throwaway culture. Can you step us into how that relates to our life together? Why do, why do homeschoolers have to be concerned about this issue of living in a throwaway culture? Sure. Well, in his encyclical Laudato Si and in other places and in other talks he's given, the Holy Father talks about how we live in a throwaway culture. And by that, he means more than just we live in a culture that is constantly being wasteful, buying too much and then tossing it out and using the resources of God's creation badly. He uses it also to mean, how do we look at other human beings? Are we looking at people as commodities for our consumption, as things for us to use up rather than people to be loved, people made in the image of God? And because that lens of the throwaway culture affects so many different pieces of our life, it affects us when we go to the grocery store and decide what to buy. It affects us when maybe I get too wrapped up in what I'm doing on my phone to really listen to what the question one of my kids is asking me. You know, I'm not giving them the dignity that they deserve in that moment. It's that throwaway perspective. And the only antidote for that is the gospel. And so I think that when we start to examine the lenses through which we view the world, we're surprised at how often we're buying into the throwaway culture instead of the lens of the gospel. What were some ways that motivated you and your husband, Daniel, to make this decision to really do something incredibly radical. And I'd like to, to hear like what your life was beforehand and what led up to it. What, you know, sort of walk us into what that experience was for you. Sure. So we were living in Florida. We were homeowners, had three very young kids. My husband was working you know, 10, 11 hour days a lot just to, you know, we weren't living in the lap of luxury, but just trying to pay the bills. And we felt like, oh, this is not the family life we envisioned. This is not what we want our life to look like, this constant frenzied, frenziedness. And also my husband's job was not something he enjoyed. So it's not like he was really <laughs> enjoying a creative spark or something when he was at work. So we're like, yikes, this is just not what we want our life to look like long term. This has been 
fine for this season. We're grateful to be able to own a home and pay our bills, but we really want something different for our kids. And so we decided to sell our house and get rid of most of our stuff because we were moving to a 650 square foot apartment on a working farm to do a year-long agricultural internship on it was a nonprofit training farm. So we were living on the farm. There are no flushing toilets. It's very simple. So in a lot of ways, people are like, wow, you're making so many sacrifices. But on the other side of that, we were eating three meals a day as a family, like three sit-down meals a day all together. We were living and working in the same space and just having all of this time. You know, we didn't have any money, but we have all of this time <laughs> to really rediscover each other and figure out what is our family mission? What do we care about? What do we want our Catholic family culture to look like? And it really offered us the space to figure all of that out. And, and so now you go from a suburban lifestyle, I'm assuming, cars and, you know, playdates or whatever, the running around lifestyle, to more or less staying put, to being together. And you're working this farm. I'm assuming now, how involved were the children in working the farm with you? Was that something you were able to do together? Yeah, there were certain tasks that they could help with. Daniel was the official intern, so he had to do work. And we were kind of along for the ride, jumping in where we could, which you know, with a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old is like a whole lot. <laughs> but they got to experience watching baby pigs be born, watching baby goats be born, just wandering around in fields of wildflowers. Like it was muddy and messy and hard, but also there were moments where it was like, oh, it's a moment of like how I imagined it would be, you know? A lot of really amazing experiences. And I saw a lot of wonder towards God's creation open up in their little minds during that experience. Ooh, so isn't it interesting when, when you get to the point of raising little kids, how very much we start to re-see the world through their eyes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, everything from Christmas morning feels new again to them saying, I found this little green spider. Isn't this amazing? And you go, I would have walked right. I probably wouldn't have even seen the green spider, much less taking the time to stop and to look at it with you and count its little legs and just be in awe that this thing exists. And it is so helpful to be retaught to see the world through the eyes of your children. Okay, so a lot came out of this. You've written an entire book about the graces enough. So just unpack that concept for us. What was it that you all discovered as far as what was enough and what was the gift of that to your family? What are the, some of the ways it unfolded? Yeah, I think for, like personally for me, there was a big shift in how I saw the value of my time or just the value of anything because I had been looking through this throwaway culture lens, which really sees every hour as this is an opportunity to maybe work and make money or work and save money or something to do with money or pushing that to a gospel perspective. If you're looking at eternal things stopping not being productive at all and spending an hour reading aloud to my kids, that has eternal value. And so for me, I think that it began this shift that I think we have to come back to every day. I find myself wrapped up in this all the time and have to you know, ter- convert again in the right direction. 
But I think for me, having that time and seeing the value of our family bonding over this adventure together was really, really beautiful. And starting at least to notice, you know, Haley, were you looking at this as an interruption when really this is the point of your day, (laughs) spending time with your kids, looking at, you know, whatever task you were doing as more important? And I think that's something we struggle with as parents forever. But I think that was the point where I started to notice this in my heart and try to swing towards a different perspective. And there are so many graces too. When we hear that little nudge, I almost feel like my guardian angel is giving me an elbow to the ribs sometimes. When somebody's drawing me away from my hyper-focus and they need me, and that little yes happens internally where you let go and you turn and you focus on the other person. I feel like I hear God powerfully in my vocation in those moments in particular. What's that been like for you, just being able to see that? Well, I was just reading The Read of God by Carol Hauslander. I don't know if you've ever read this book, but she was a British Catholic who wrote in the 40s and 50s. She has this beautiful book about Our Lady called The Read of God, talking about Our Lady as a read through which God plays his song and how that's what we're all called to be. And one thing she talks about in the at the end of the book is the seeking of the Christ child, you know, the mystery of the rosary where Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple. They had to go look for him. And it's an odd thing. So we think, you know, why, why did they lose him? Why did, why did he go away without telling him? This is so odd. But it talks about that it's necessary to seek after Christ and to find him. And how to Mary, when St. John was given to her as her son at the foot of the cross, and we were all given to her as her children, the place she sought and found Jesus was in each one of us that when we interact with another human being, we're interacting with Jesus as well. And so she talked a lot about seeing the Christ child in children, seeing the infant Christ in an infant, you know, all of these things. And I think that's such a beautiful perspective. You know, when you have that, I'm sure none of your kids ever drive you nuts, Lisa, but when you have (laughs) that kid that's driving you a little bit crazy, remembering I am talking to Jesus. I'm, I have to see our Lord in this child. I think that does make a huge difference, and we're not going to get it right every time, but we can start trying. Yeah, and that's so beautiful. It, it really does matter. It really matters on a spiritual level, and of course, it matters in their trajectory. We are the ones trying to teach them about a person they can't see. And so if we're not present to them, I think we create a disconnect there for them as far as that leap of the imagination. Is there someone really attending to me? I don't know. The other thing that fascinated me about some of your ideas about the grace of enough is that somehow, and I'm wondering if it had anything to do with kind of the influence of seasons and a time to so and a time to reap kind of thing. Did that help you with the way you started to really fo- more fully embrace the liturgical year with your family? Just on some foundational well, I, Yeah, <laughs> I think that the liturgical year in the domestic church is such a beautiful rhythm. And especially if we can tie it to the rhythms of the, the seasons of agriculture and the earth, it's really special. And of course, you know, we don't still live on the farm. Not everyone can just pack up and move to a farm to experience the seasons. But, you know, you can have 
some herbs on your windowsill. You can do a tomato in a pot on your front porch. There are some little things that we can do to keep us connected and to enjoy that, that that anticipation for the first tomato. There's something very holy about that. You know, you're without the fresh tomatoes and then you have that first hot, it's, you, it's still warm from the sun and you bite into it. And it's just so beautiful. And so I think experiencing that and pairing it with the seasons of the Christian year, you know, that anticipation of Advent, that we are waiting for the Christ child. And it's, you know, we're waiting in joyful hope, but it's hard to wait. And, but now it's here and we can really celebrate and we're not just exhausted from Christmas by December 26 and ready to just get that tree out of the house the day after <laughs> Christmas. Because we really dived into the seasons of the liturgical year because the church is so wise to give us those rhythms to our to our year that always remind us of the life of Christ and the lives of the saints that we're kind of walking through the story of God's love for us over and over again each year. And it's kind of getting deeper into our hearts, like little grooves each year. It's just getting a little bit deeper. And we have to come back to those same simple truths every time. I love that because I think of the liturgical year as a treasure map. And, and it's sort of like, how will I, like, just as you said, go just a little bit deeper into the Immaculate Conception or the birth of Christ or whatever it is. And, and developmentally, even as adults, we're changing from year to year through, with the help of the Holy Spirit and with our struggles and everything else in the sacraments. And our children developmentally are experiencing, as you said, that groove that gets deeper and deeper as we go round and round that liturgical year. It's, it's, sort of, it's kind of nice to think of it as a circular thing because so many saints and theologians have talked about our relationship with God as being circular, that we emerge kind of from his heart, out of his love. And eventually, we come back to him as we return to heaven God, with God's help. Um, but I love that, just that sense of those touchstones that we go through again and again a little differently. And I love that you don't have to introduce a tradition for observing the liturgical year very often until your kids are like, are we going to do this? Are we going to cook this for this day? You know, they're like ahead of you already. And so it's kind of beautiful because I think when I started trying to bring it into our home, I was like, oh, is this going to be a lot of work? Is this going to be so hard to keep up? But they love it so much that they kind of have started to carry some of that responsibility for making it special in our home. And my daughters want to make decorations for things and my son wants to help cook. And it's just really beautiful that like they're doing some of that, taking, um, taking on participation isn't the right word, but some ownership in it. Like this is our family culture. This is our Catholic culture. They're sort of protecting and it's almost like they're continuing to till the soil to, to keep back, to draw back to that connection with the earth that they're, they're helping something to regenerate. They're bringing it back and they're, so they become keepers of the culture for themselves and for their own children someday. What beautiful inheritance. Very interesting. So what about the pace of life? You, things had to slow down, I'm assuming, to be on the farm. What were some of the impacts that rippled out into your life? So I think that um, having that extra time, slowing down, not 
rushing all around. Most days we just stayed on the farm and didn't leave. That provided an opportunity for longer meal times, which provides this kind of sacred space of connection, both within our family when we just eat as a family or when we're eating with the whole community on the farm or just having a couple of friends over to our teeny tiny little apartment or eating outside. And also having access to things we just grown from the farm, you know, having these fresh veggies that we grew, that was cool. And then taking the time to prepare them with friends and sitting outside when the mos- mosquitoes weren't killing us, you know, in the nice times of the year. Sitting until it got dark and then putting kids to bed and doing the dishes with friends and having that extended time without feeling like we had to check our email or Daniel feeling like I've got to go in early to the office tomorrow. You know, he might get called in the middle of the night because a goat's having a baby and he needs to go up and help deliver a goat. But it was just a different kind of thing. And it was really special. But I think that those sacred meal times were probably the most beautiful thing that we kind of recovered for our family life from that and that we've tried to keep going as we've moved off the farm with you know different work schedules. We don't get to all eat together three times a day, but when we do, trying to really treasure that time. It's funny that that's such, well, not funny at all, really, that that's something we've lost in our culture. Is everyone being home at the same time for a meal? We're so grabbing something out of the fridge and running out the door or going through a drive-through, but that you keep using the word sacred. And it's Interesting, because I started lighting candles at our dinner table years ago, and I must admit, sometimes I'm using LED candles, but I was actually lighting little uh, dripless candles for a long time, even if we were eating leftovers or takeout together, A, to remind me as the sort of the religious person in my home, because my husband is not a person of faith, but that Christ is present there at our dinner table, but also just because it set a tone that we were together and that this was important time. That was a visual cue for us that, ah, this is special. We're all together. I love that. My mom would do that at dinner. And we would always go back and forth and tease her about how we couldn't see our food because we were eating by <laughs> candlelight and we'd joke around. But I think that we've done that some. We always do that at Advent and Lent. We have special candles for Advent, you know, with the Advent wreath. And usually we do a candle with just a simple grapevine wreath around it for Lent. Nice. In the same place we would have the Advent wreath. But that's such a good point. We should do that the whole year just to remember this is really special time. This is something that we treasure. This is um, make something that is every day show that it's not just a, a drudgery or, you know, this is something special, even though we do it every night together. What are some ways that you've found to make ordinary times around the table to just highlight that it's important time together? Are there some little practices or attitudes that you feel are important? Well, one thing we do in the morning after, usually after Daniel and I have eaten quickly and are chasing the toddler around and (laughs) various children, um, as soon as he's eaten, he'll read the daily mass readings And then that kind of gives us something to talk about for the rest of breakfast because the kids always have questions about different things. And sometimes we know the answer and sometimes we have to look it up or say, hey, we'll get back to you. We don't know what's going on in that verse. It does sound weird, doesn't it? And let's figure this out (laughs) together. So that's something we do in the morning. 
And then in the evening, especially during the weekends, we really like to practice hospitality and have friends over. And it's kind of tricky to balance it with now we've got some older kids, so they kind of need some time just with us as a family and getting lots of our attention. But we also love just opening up our home, having friends over, having godparents over, having new folks we met at church over, and um, helping that be a practice that we take on as a whole family because our kids get excited and they make cards for the people coming over and they want to help set up and just make that part of our, our family culture. How beautiful. What a joyful sort of a family ministry then to open the home, to allow people to be a part of this environment that honors God, that honors each other with time and with the sacredness of a meal together. Uh, The whole idea of hospitality, too. We think of Abraham being kind of the three strangers who were God, or the Trinity stopping by, and then the following year he's blessed with a child in his old age. And that, that idea of entertaining angels unaware, there's such a spiritual tradition of opening our homes. There, there is. And I think that in American culture, we can tend to always gravitate towards little circles of people in the same stage of life as we're in. You know, well, we have kids who are kind of middle grade, so we're going to hang out with other families of kids who have you know, middle, middle grade kids in their family. And there's nothing wrong with we all need some of those friendships of people going through the same thing we're going through. But I think we do ourselves and others a disservice if we don't branch out from that and have, you know, an elderly couple from church over, maybe they live far away from their grandkids and they just need to be loved on by some kids or your single friends. I think sometimes we think, Oh, our single friends don't want to deal with the raucous dinner that this is going to be with all of our kids running around. But I think a lot of times they do. They want to be a part of that. They want our kids to make them a card or draw them a picture to go put on their refrigerator and just kind of be loved on and cared for for an evening as they often step in and help us out when we're drowning with all of our kids and we need them to run to the store for something or, you know, they save us in those situations, really embracing the beauty of being the body of Christ beyond just people who are just the same as we are and seeing how beautiful that community can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you think about this idea of enough, what are the most important ideas that come to mind for you? I think one big idea is thinking to yourself, what am I sacrificing by getting more? You know, like where, where is enough for us, which is something that really you have to discern as a family and pray about because the Vatican doesn't give you a checklist of <laughs> how big your house can be. Here's how much you should pay for your mortgage. Any more than that is, you know, too much. We don't have access to this checklist <laughs> because we're all to discern this on our own. Our families are different. We have different needs. And so discerning okay, what is a need and what's unnecessary And is that a necessary thing causing us to have to sacrifice time together or peace because we're stressed? And are those things interfering with our family life? And it's something that's, it's kind of like decluttering your house. You don't just have to do it once. You have to keep doing it because it's going to pile up. And so constantly kind of, okay, let's, 
let's reassess how are how are we doing are we spending enough time together as a family are are we making sundays really a sabbath day where we spend time together or has that become like the laundry and grocery day instead of our family day and just taking stock of that as our especially as kids go into different stages you know when we we're at the farm nobody was really doing extracurriculars yet our kids were very young now the three big ones are doing extracurriculars and that's a whole other thing so how do we protect our family time maybe we choose we're not going to do the traveling team of anything we do everybody goes to jujitsu so it's just i go one place everybody does their class and we go home and that's working for us right now but as our kids get older and have more passions they want to pursue we're going to have to figure out okay what how can we help you achieve this but what's too much for our family life how can we pay our bills and be responsible with what we have and how much is really too much overtime that's causing our family to really miss out on time with dad or time with mom and so i think it just requires that constant openness to the call of the holy spirit and remembering beauty of family life and the value of that and what what is really being sacrificed when we let that go for other pursuits Amen. And I feel like this all ties back to the liturgical year and seasons and that sense of rhythms, that circular kind of sense that we have in our relationship to God that we have to keep uh, recognizing little red flags, maybe everyone getting stressed or too busy or not enough time to reflect and do that decluttering. And we do that spiritually when we go to confession. It just so dovetails beautifully that sense of we need to have a chance to check in evaluate and get rid of the things that are sucking away our family time, our enthusiasm for our lives and our life together. And that sense that we need a clarity of purpose so that we have a measuring stick to look at all the possible good things we can be draining away our time and effort on and select the best, the ones that dovetail with what we're discerning as far as a vision for our family life in God. Mm-hmm. Just powerful thoughts. Thank you so much, Haley. This has really been just so sweet to think in these terms with simplicity, with sort of the, the, the ability to look at our families in terms of just what's really necessary and what's going to allow us to really be present to each other. Is there any parting thought that you'd like to give our listeners? I think just that there's grace to start again every day. You know, that's such a a comfort to me when I fail and just think, oh, this day was totally not, you know, this morning, for instance, was not great. And I think <laughs> like hmm, I could have done things very differently. And so just having, being willing to not be perfect and say, okay, yes, I am a human being who fails. It's to be expected. I, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to turn again to prayer turn again to loving my family and start over and not get caught up in the guilt or the shame, but you know, let it go. Just keep moving towards Jesus. Keep moving towards loving my family and just let that grace grow day by day. Very lovely. All right. Thank you, everybody. Please find Haley at Carrots for Michaelmas and do check out Fountains of Carrots, her terrific podcast and her beautiful book, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. 
And please do stay tuned in just a moment for our three-minute feature. Hi there, this is Chantal Howard from Ideal to Real. I've made it my goal to help pious aspirations come to life more easily in everyday living, in particular within the homeschooling home. Today, I want to talk about what it is really all about, the real reason we homeschool to begin with, and that is to have time to take our kids deep into the heart of Christ and invite them into the contemplative gaze. The core, odd core, the heart to heart with the Lord. Nothing is more important than this. So today's tip is super simple. It is one that I take direct from my store of homeschool memories myself. And that is to institute three minutes of silence every few days at the outset of your day. But this can't just be a forced silence that is full of awkward tension with one parent looking out of the side of their eye snapping at their kids, trying to get them to pay attention and discipline them at the same moment. This is an invitation into a deep interior journey. So in order to accomplish this and give your children a springboard that will last forever in their interior life, I invite you to be their prayer guide at first to help them to know how to close their eyes travel down from the world of their distractions and the wiggles into their heart room where Jesus dwells. I invite you to use your imagination in guiding theirs and using their imagination to help paint a picture of Jesus waiting for them. Open wide the doors of their heart. Run into that heart chamber. Maybe it looks like a grand cathedral or just a simple little humble stable. Maybe Jesus is there crowned king in glory, or maybe he's just a babe and Mary's there and they want to rock him in their arms. And at the same time, Jesus wants to take them into his arms, help them to discover the picture of Jesus longing to be with them. From here, I invite you to introduce the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This simple prayer of the church can be repeated slowly and quietly until the hush has truly taken place in the atmosphere around you and they can begin to hear the voice of God speaking to them. In closing, I will share that my memories of praying like this have made more impact on me than perhaps any other spiritual practice that was ever given to me. When I'm anxious or worried, I resort back to these simple moments of praying the Jesus prayer as a source of solace and peace and consolation. So don't underestimate the power of these three minutes. One last tip. After you've done this as a family for a while, invite your children to find their own prayer nook and scatter around throughout the house. For me, it was climbing into the linen closet where I encountered Jesus most fervently through the prayer of the Jesus prayer and this interior journey that was painted for me. I hope that it'll do the same for you and your children. You can find me at aromarosary.com or chantal-howard.com. Thanks for joining me for another episode of From Ideal to Real. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints. 
and leave us an honest review. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.